0: Father, we thank you this morning. Thank you, Lord, that we have the privilege to come into a place to worship you, Lord, in singing, to worship you in giving, Lord, to worship you in hearing the word. But Father, I pray that you would remind us this morning that this is simply an hour out of the week, and that the greater part of the worship that we are commanded to do is done throughout the week. And so, Father, I pray that the things that we hear from your word today, Lord, the things that are learned through the study of your word throughout the week, God, that we would be faithful to apply those things that we learn and that this world might look at a people and see that there is hope, there is forgiveness, and there is joy for those who follow the one and true living God. Forgive us, Father, for our apathy. Forgive us, Lord, for our sin. God, help us to pursue you, even as your word declares, as a deer pants for the water, God, may our souls long after you change us, make us into a people that you are pleased with. And God, that this world would see the good works not because of they would look and see us doing something uh, for our own benefit or for our own glory, but God, that you would be glorified in it. We thank you again for the opportunity to worship today, and God, we pray now as we listen that even this would be an act of worship. I pray, God, as Riley had said, that I'm hidden behind the cross and that what people see this morning is Jesus and his word and how your church is to be conducted. And we pray in Christ Jesus' name, the name that is above all names, and the church said, You know, one of the things that I think about when we do pray like that is that uh, sometimes we get in this kind of idea that when we just come into church, we come in, we sing a little bit, we give a little bit, we listen to a sermon and we move on and we forget that time coming into church sometimes is a time of confession as well. It's a time that we need to really look at our hearts before the Lord and, and to lay ourselves out and, and really see ourselves in his presence. And that's what I hope we do this morning. Uh, this is one of these messages. I, I, think, uh, I think it's a great message. It's been a good message for me. As a matter of fact, I found it kind of liberating. But uh, you'll see in the scriptures this morning as we break it open in a few moments, this message that Paul outlines uh, this morning is how a congregation should view their pastors. As a matter of fact, the title of the message is called A Proper View of Ministers. And he deals also with how a pastor should view himself. Now, I will say this, and you say, well, wait a minute, is this just for pastors? No, it's going to be for the congregation, but I will say this as well. If you're involved in ministry in any shape, form, or fashion, I believe this is a great message for you as well because it really lays out how a minister uh, is to be viewed and how he is even to view himself. So what we're going to see this morning that Paul lays out is that the view uh, that the congregation has in particular uh, of the pastor should not be based on popularity or on personality. Uh, You know that every single pastor that comes along, they're going to have a different type personality, and and you guys probably understand that my personality is a lot different than maybe someone else's personality. My experiences are different than that, and that is why we don't base uh, our view off the personality of a pastor. That should never be what we do. It is not about how many are in attendance or how many baptisms are performed every single year. As a matter of fact, I believe there are a great amount of churches that have gotten into uh, desperate problems and trouble by ranking where they're at based upon how many people show up, right, or how many baptisms that there are. And the issue is not about baptisms because you and I can attest to this. We've seen a lot of people baptized over the years and then you never see them again, right? So was that, was that really the real deal or was it a moment of emotionalism? And, and then we look at, at the numbers. Listen, there are, are churches throughout the United States today that are packed, and yet the gospel is not preached. And they say, look at that pastor. What a wonderful pastor he is because he, he just draws the people in, and they all want to hear what he has to say. And yet you never hear a moment of truth spoken. Amen. Now, don't get me wrong. I would love to see every pew in West Side packed up. Uh, I mean, what a joy that would be. But I would only want to see it packed up for those who are here to live and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and then wanting to go out and share it with everyone else. So we need to be careful, as Paul was saying to the church at Corinth be careful how you view the pastor. Again, it's not about attendance or how many. Baptisms are performed even though that is a sign of a healthy church. If we are to have a proper view of ministers, we must look to the Word of God for how they are to be evaluated. Right? And, And there are a lot of folks that don't look to what the Word of God says concerning how is that pastor to be evaluated. They look all too often at the standard of men rather than the standard of God. So I love preaching just verse by verse because you have to deal with the tough subjects. And sometimes these are subjects that I look at and say, well, how's the church going to respond to this? But here's the deal. You'll find out why I go ahead and do this because it's one of the requirements that I have as a pastor. The theme for this morning's message is still dealing with the issues of division in the church. you remember that, that one of the main problems of the church at Corinth was this, is that you had different factions within the church. You had one group saying this, hey, I'm a follower of Paul, I'm a follower of Cephas, I'm a follower of Apollos. They all had this ranking of how they liked them, and the problem was, as we learned last week, Paul says, listen, every single one of the ministers has been given for your good they weren't seeing that the men were all preaching the same thing which was jesus christ and laying the uh, the foundation for the church to follow so he's still dealing with the issue of division he was letting them know we should not rank a minister or we should not (coughs) evaluate a minister on the judgment of others or for that matter the judgment of themselves now what, what does that mean in other words We do not look at one pastor and say he's more successful based on the numbers of churchgoers or the numbers of letters after his name. I mean, you can have a long, you know, PhD after PhD after PhD, and that should not be how you rank whether that man is a faithful minister of God. And can I tell you this morning, as I dealt with this and I thought of this, for so many pastors in America that are just faithfully preaching the gospel to small congregations, and maybe that congregation is a reason that it is small, but here's the thing about that. Is that man to be ranked as as a successful pastor? And as we'll find out at the end of this message that the only way that we're going to determine that is when he stands before the Lord and the Lord will give him his reward. Because you never know why that man is there. So when we look at it, we drive down the road or whether somebody was driving down here today and they said, oh my, look at the cars or oh my, uh, there's not many cars. And we dare not fall into the category and say, that church is successful and this one is not based on something like that. What is important is this. that the minister doesn't rank himself in the same way, that he doesn't look at himself and say, I'm successful because all the degrees I have, or I'm successful because all the people that I have. He has to be careful in that line as well. And we'll see how Paul breaks that out this morning. But I believe, again, as I kind of alluded to earlier, I believe that this message is liberating for those in ministry if they will understand it is not important about numbers or feelings. What is important is are you faithful with what God has given you? Further, this message should help a congregation understand how you should view a pastor. How do you view him? How do you look at him? Well, we find that as we will go through this morning, three points uh, for us this morning. And our main points are this, who is a minister? Second point, what is he required to do? And third point, how is he to be judged or evaluated? Who is he? What does he do? And how is he to be judged? Those three things. And it's just what Paul lays out for us this morning in the Scripture. Let me read verses 1 through 5 of chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians, and then we'll kind of uh, just unpack each of those points a little bit at a time. He says, first of all, Paul speaking to the church, he says, Let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful, but with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self, for I know nothing by myself, yet I am not hereby justified. But he that judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. Now, I will, I'll be the first to say, I'm, you guys kind of i hope you'll, you'll pay attention this morning. It's not going to be one of these dynamic uh, uh, messages that sometimes, uh, well, I say that, we'll never know how I go until I, I really get going on it. I sometimes think it's not, and then the Lord turns that around. But I want you to pay attention to this because I believe it is important for us as a people to understand it. Who is a minister? Verse 1, let no man account of us. And Paul is saying there, don't let anybody uh, uh, misjudge or or if you're going to evaluate, here's here's how you're going to evaluate. In verse 1, he says, in understanding who the minister is, we should reflect back to why Paul is addressing the issue. There are divisions in the church caused by following personality rather than the truth of what a person was saying. Paul wanted the congregation to understand that when they are evaluating a minister, they need to recognize who he is. This is key. This is key to understanding the whole principle that is laid out here. It is key to keep from causing divisions within a church. It is key to understanding of even who the congregation is because he lays it out in these simple words. He says, if you're going to sow account of us, do it this way, as ministers of Christ and as stewards of the mystery of the gospel. So the first thing that we'll see is who is a minister is just that, he is a minister. The word here that is used for a minister, check this out. This is, we don't get it in the English language, but the word here is, and I won't even give you the Greek on it, but what it means is he is an under rower. And the idea is is that he is on a galley, he is on a ship, and he is several layers low. And he's the guy that's on the very bottom of the ship, and he's rowing. And that's all that he's doing. He's just rowing. And Paul says, if you want to understand who I am and who the other ministers are, he places himself at the very bottom of being a servant. And when we look at that, that's what he wants him. But not, that, not just this. He doesn't want the congregation to see, hey, I am of the lowliest of the servants But he's saying, I am not a servant necessarily to the church. Note who he says he is that low servant to. He says he is a under rower. He is that lowest servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's important for a congregation when they look at their pastors is that they see their pastors as just that. They see their pastors as a servant of Jesus Christ. The problem that the church in Corinth was having is they were putting human wisdom at looking at the men they were following and saying, well, look at the personality of Paul and and look at the popularity of Cephas. You know, look look at the dynamic of Apollos. And what Paul was trying to get across to him saying, stop judging, stop evaluating man based on his personality and and his abilities in some areas. Listen, he is a servant of Jesus Christ, first and foremost. Now, that's important because the congregation, once they grab that to see that he is a servant, he is a minister of Christ, then I believe it frees that congregation to serve better. They understand they're not serving a pastor, and the pastor is not necessarily serving them. He's serving Jesus Christ. And in the process of serving Christ, he serves the church. A minister that understands that his priority is to serve Christ will indeed serve the people. As a matter of fact, if you get it turned around, it really will wreck a church. If that pastor doesn't understand that his first priority is to Jesus Christ, and he begins to see his priority to the, to the church itself, to the membership of the church, that that is his priority, he has missed the ball. He has missed it completely, and that congregation will end up suffering because of that. Listen, if, if there is something that you could do for your pastor, I appreciate an accolade. I, I, I had an old pastor that told me one time, every dog likes a pat on the head, right? Everybody enjoys that. But I can tell you what I would enjoy more than anything else, what I would benefit more than anything else from you as a Westside congregation is that you would daily lift me up in prayer. minister that understands that will serve the people better. A pastor that sees the priority to serve the congregation is doomed to failure. And conversely, a congregation that views their pastor as a servant to them before Christ is doomed to fail as well. Does that make sense? Well, the Corinthians didn't understand that. That's why we have to preach these things. Because, man, the Bible says this Solomon said this there's nothing new under the sun. Now, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the church here. I'm grateful that you have not placed undue responsibilities on me. Uh, and, and that uh, it, it, there are a great many pastors, though, that are not in that position that they have so many pressures on them from the congregation well you need to visit this one you need to visit that one you need to take this ministry you need to do that ministry and pretty soon that pastor finds himself serving the whim of the church rather than the priority of christ and in effect they become ineffective and Paul wanted them to understand that. Listen, this is not, and, and we say this, we haven't said it in a while, but at Westside Baptist Church, it should be this. Every member, a what? Minister. As a matter of fact, the responsibility of the pastor is to prepare the congregation to do the work of the ministry. Very few churches, I think, get that. The pastor, teacher's primary responsibility His primary act of service is this, the diligent study and presentation of God's word to the congregation. That is it. That That is what he is to do that is where he is to spend the majority of his time. We go back and while we're even deacons brought into existence, they were brought into existence. So the apostles who later that they become pastors, uh, pastors taking that mantle of teaching the word of God. So they said, we can give ourselves to prayer and the study of God's word. And, and so when we look at that, what is he a minister of? First, he is a minister of Jesus Christ. He is to minister for first and foremost to Christ, and by doing that, he ministers to the congregation. How is he to do that ministry? By presenting the word of God faithfully to that congregation. Everybody still love me? Say amen. The call to pastoral ministry is something that Paul says he was compelled to do. It was something that was not done for personal gain or notoriety. He was simply doing what God had called him to do. As a matter of fact, if you study that out, you'll find out that Paul says, listen, this was the last thing I was looking to do. And if, and if most if most pastors, most pastors, I believe, would say this it is a privilege and a joy to serve Jesus Christ as a pastor in a church, but it is the last thing that they were looking to do. And we'll we'll look next week of why that is. And I will say this for those who may want to be in the ministry personal gain or notoriety is the last reason you should ever want to be in the ministry. Because what will happen is, if that's the case, a man will become a charlatan and he will fleece the sheep. The servant, the minister should have one goal, That is to please his master. And there have been many pastors who have been rendered ineffective in the ministry trying to appease the congregation rather than Christ. Now, I have to say again, I'm thankful that I serve here with the people that I serve with, Uh, the men that I serve with as deacons. I mean, a great group of men, by the way, in case you guys didn't know that. Uh, I am grateful for the congregation here uh, who's had a wonderful heart. But I also want you to know this, that I understand from the scripture that my job is not to please you, but my job is to please Him. And I hope you know me enough after the time that I've been here to know that I love you and that the way that I can best express my love is to faithfully proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Second thing that he is to be, if we'll look at the scripture, he says he's to be a minister of Christ. And then he says, and stewards of the mysteries of God. The steward is this, a steward is a house manager. He is one giving oversight to the things of his master that his master owns. Just like being a servant, Paul wanted the congregation to see his fellow ministers for who they were. They were the underlings of Christ. They were to handle the business of the king. And so when you say, how do I view a pastor? First of all, you see him as a servant. The second thing that you see him as is a steward of the mysteries of God. Now, the mysteries of God, is, 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 it's not like we see a mystery. The mystery of God out of the Bible simply means this, something that was once not known that has now been made known. Right, and so that mystery the mystery of the gospel would be this all through the Old Testament. What is this picture? What is this uh, this? Uh, uh, salvation and how is it going to come about and then we get to the picture of who Jesus Christ is and we see the revelation of Jesus Christ and we understand that we have salvation through faith in Christ and Christ alone So that is what he is a steward of he is a steward of the things that were once hidden But now are made known through the revealed Word of God. Let me say that again, through the revealed word of God. If I get up here and tell you, hey listen, I had a funny feeling this morning or I had a funny dream last night and congregation, this is what I think that we are going to do. Listen, you need to challenge me because that is not the way a pastor delivers a message. I deliver the message from the word of God and only from the word of God. He is a steward of that He handles those things that are his Lord's. It is the picture of the master being away, and while he is away, that steward takes care of the things of the house of God. Stewards of the mysteries. They manage the Word of God. They are those who had the responsibility of faithfully dispensing the Word of God to the congregation. In fact... That was to be their priority you see there's kind of a recurring type theme here this morning what is a pastor to be what is that minister to be he's to be a servant how does he serve the people he serves the people by teaching the Word of God now I have to say this not only by teaching the Word of God but also by living the Word of God you see a pastor is just as ineffective if he preaches one thing and he lives something else, it doesn't take folks long to see through that. Or they begin to compromise themselves. So when we just look at that, when you look at me, when you look at anybody else as a minister of the gospel, he is a servant. He is a steward of the word of God. He is handling the things of God with care because he knows one day he is going to give an account of it. Second point that we want to have this morning. What is the requirement of a minister? What is the requirement of a minister? It's found in verse 2. Now take note here too, church. I hope that by the t- after all this time that I've been here, you understand that we simply walk through the Word of God. And what's great about this is when we ask a question, the Lord has given the answer in the Word. So we we take a look and say, who is the minister? He tells us who a minister is. What is the requirement that he has? He tells us what the requirement is in the scripture. Scripture defines and tells us what we need to know. In verse two it says this, moreover it is required in stewards, right? We just talked about who they were, that a man be found faithful. No, that's the only thing that he says is required of a steward. He says that he is to be found faithful trustworthy. So then the question comes up, what is that man to be trustworthy of? What is he to be faithful of? Well, I've already kind of given us a pretty good hint along the way, but it is this, a minister is to be faithful and trustworthy. He is to faithfully trust. Teach the word of God to those whom he has called to minister to. Let me tell you a couple of things that this can be kind of elucidate on. Number one is this, it needs to be the whole counsel of God. You see, I can get up here and preach truth from the word of God that would do nothing but make you happy and tickle you. I could get up here and teach on all the good things that are in the Bible. And everybody would say, amen. But when I preach on sin and for the need of holiness, uh, that is also being faithful to the word of God. And the congregation should also view them and say, is he faithful not just to preach the things I want to hear, but is he faithful to preach the things that I need to hear? And the problem in so many places today I was listening to a guy, and I won't call his name, but I've talked about him before on on a sermon. Sometimes I I will go and listen to a heretic preach just so I can hear what he's saying. And he talked about Doritos and all sorts of other things in the sermon. And he talked about loathing and despising self-pity. But I never heard him talk about the gospel. And when I'm talking about the gospel, folks, the gospel is the entirety of the word of God. So he had great anecdotes. he had great stories, he tried to be really funny, he appealed and tickled the ears of those who say, oh, I don't want to be self-pity, but he never told them how to change that. You see, we need to know not only how to put self-pity away, but we also need to know what we need to replace it with. I need to be a faithful minister. That's what Paul was saying to them. He needs to be faithful. God provides, listen, God provides all the minister's needs. The minister is simply to be faithful with what God supplies. Taking God's word and faithfully feeding it to the flock. Now, if you want to, here, I think I need to bring this out as well. If you want to understand what the requirements or the qualifications of a pastor look like, we need to look to the pastoral epistles. But don't be confused over what is required for that pastor, once he is a pastor, to what is required to become a pastor. Two different things. Now, all of us, I think, would say this, that we have probably seen or heard or experienced perhaps a man who should never have been a pastor. The problem was, and here it is, here is the problem, is because somebody did not take the Word of God and hold the man of God up to the qualifications of God before he ever became a pastor and so that man who became a pastor did not know what it was to be a pastor and therefore the congregation had no understanding of what a pastor was to be and so it's all out of kilt and pretty soon that church begins to suffer. You see just because a man wants to be a pastor doesn't mean he needs to be a pastor. He needs to be qualified according to the scriptures first. And that's not up to him to say whether I'm self-qualified or not. It is up to a church that will eventually say, yes, he meets the standard. And again, it's not on personality. It's not on how dynamic he is. It is based off of what the Word of God says. Last point. How is a minister to be judged? How is he to be evaluated? We find that in verses three through five. Let me read those and we'll go back and talk about them. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own. For I know nothing by myself, yet I am hereby justified by he that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart. And then shall every man have praise of God. How is he to be judged? How That word judged, how is he to be evaluated? Well, note the evaluation of the congregation to Paul. Note what he says it is, verse 3. He says, but it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you. In other words, he is saying, listen, I'm not putting a whole lot of emphasis on how you look at me, right? And, and again, it's important that that man of God look at that. Now, let, let me clarify a few things about that. The man of God who says, I am not open to criticism, beware, Right? As a matter of fact, I have heard I have heard people use this and it's a misquote says, touch not the Lord's anointed. Number one, that's out of the Old Testament, and we're dealing with a whole different issue there uh, when we're talking about the king's anointed versus a pastor who's called, because there are times that some pastors need to be touched. Right? So it's not about criticism. As a matter of fact, if somebody has criticism for me in something, I really need to be open to listen to it, but I'm not going to let the criticism of somebody uh, rule over how I uh, conduct myself on every aspect of life. On the second page of that, it's not only should I be be open to criticism, but Paul really was saying, hey, listen, I'm also open to praise. Somebody comes along to a pastor and saying, hey, that, that was a great message. I, I bet Truman could testify to this. In and, and any given sermon, there are people who will say that was a great message, and then some will say, I got nothing out of it. Or that was the worst sermon you ever preached. And if you've been around the ministry long enough, that's the way it is. But not only must I be able to take criticism, but I also need to be able to accept somebody who says something good about me. But in both cases, here is the key to it. What Paul was saying is, listen, it is a small thing to me in comparison to what God says about me. So whether you criticize me or whether you praise me, he said that is a small thing to me because what is more important to me is this, is that I know that I will be judged by God and that is the most important thing for me. Now, feel free to a limited degree, (laughs) to criticize and praise. Because again, it goes back to this. I am God's servant. I am just an underling. I'm just the under rower. I'm just a steward of the mysteries of God. I don't want to be propped up on a pedestal, but I don't want to be kicked to the ground either. And that's the way we should view pastors along those lines. And one of the great things about being 63 and gray is this makes a whole lot more sense to me than it did 40 years ago. When I worried about every single thing that every single person said. And I tried to become the superman, the savior of the church. And it nearly ruined me. He says it's a small thing, To be judged by the congregation, whether criticized or praised. Then he goes on to say about self-evaluation. He says, it's not, he says, I don't, he says, I think I'm doing okay. He says, but I don't even know that for sure, as we look in in these verses, is basically what he's saying. But self-evaluation for the pastor ought ought to be this it should be one thing that they don't do is say, look how successful I am. Look how good I'm doing. And I tell you what, probably every pastor at some point has fallen into that category. I'm even careful when I talk about D-Life on this and saying, listen, it's wonderful. Here's what is wonderful about D-Life, in my opinion, is we have 60 people reading the same Scripture, asking the same questions, teaching each other what God is saying to them through the Word of God on a weekly basis. The danger in that for a pastor would be saying, hey, look at the program that I just brought in and look how good it's doing. Man, I'm pretty good. I'm doing all right for myself. You need to be careful. The pastor, the minister, the Sunday school teacher all need to be careful that they understand that when they self evaluate, they're not seeing themselves as more than a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So self-evaluation is important as well. But it's not only that, but it ought to be this as well. Not to look at what a failure I am. And there are a great many pastors, I believe, that they look out and they're so discouraged over the condition of the flock of the church of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you why you can't do that as a minister of the gospel of Christ. If God has called a man to a church, it doesn't matter whether the church stands or the church falls, what matters was he faithful during that time. Because it could be that a pastor has been brought and the Lord's saying, last chance. Amen? I'm not saying that about me, because that would be presumptuous of the very things I'm saying. And we don't know the timetable that God has on things, of how he is moving and changing the hearts of people. That is why he is simply to be faithful to preach the word of God. He says this, here's the important thing about being self-evaluated. Keep a clear conscience before the Lord and man. Can I look at you and say, hey, I'm doing what God has called me to do? Can I truly stand before the Lord and say, Lord, as far as I know, I'm doing the best that I can? Believe me, there are times I'm praying, I'm crying out, God, am I okay? Am I doing what's right? am I doing what's wrong search me know me try me and finally here's where it comes down to God's evaluation look at verse 5 says therefore the uh, therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the countless are the counsels of the hearts and then shall every man have praise of God You see, Paul just tries to bring it down to this. Church, here's what's important. God's evaluation. That's what's important. And the fact of the matter is, you see, not only is it important for the pastor, but it's important for the member. Because the fact is, is that you and I will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for what we have done in the body, whether good or bad. Talking about Christians, and again, if you were here on Sunday nights or Wednesday nights, we just finished a uh, three-week study on that, of the bema of seed of Christ. We're not talking for the Christian. Here's a great place for an amen coming up. Give you a warning. Let me give you another one. Great place for an amen coming up. The sin for the Christian was judged on the cross. Oh, man, let's try that again. The sin for the Christian was judged on the cross. All right, so what we're talking about here, God alone will judge the motive of each minister's heart. God alone. I can't look in the heart of somebody. I can't look in the heart of somebody who's teaching D-Life. I can't look into the heart of somebody who is teaching a Sunday school class. But God does. And he says, I'm the one who knows the motives of the heart. God alone will judge each of his ministers. God will someday give to each man the praise that he is due. You know, that's, that's sometimes some folks that go, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, God's going to praise me? That's exactly what the Bible just said. That there's going to come a day that he will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You know, what? can I, can I encourage you this morning? We talked, we've been talking about how that we're going to be given account for everything. Can I tell you that every single prayer that you've ever prayed, can I tell you that every single time you've agonized over trying to understand the Scriptures, whether you've been faithful to church, every single one of those things has been added to your account in heaven. Did you get that? So when you step into His presence, and He says, this survived. This was not hay, wood, and stubble. That's a good thing, isn't it? You tracking with me? You guys are looking at me like a calf looking at a gate for the first time. I told you, that, you know, last week, and again, don't become alarmed. I'm not planning on going anywhere. But everybody has, and as Ann said last week when I brought it up, every person has an expiration date. Every one of us. Every one of us has an expiration date on how long we'll be able to do the things that we do. And it's the same way as pastoring. There will be a day that I will not be the pastor of Westside Baptist Church. And if, if the Lord, Lord hasn't taken his church home, Westside Baptist Church will need to look at another pastor. Can I encourage you in this right now, right now, for especially the young ones, you know, You look to see if the man's qualified, first of all. And once you've placed him there, you look at him as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ and that he is a trustworthy, faithful man of the stewards of the mysteries of God and support him in those things. Right? Well... These messages out of 1 Corinthians are um, educational, to say the least. Because they're really describing to the church how a church is to function. The form and the function in a church. And I look forward to teaching through each one of those. It's always, true; it's always a little bit tougher when you're preaching about yourself. uh, But I also found this very liberating as a reminder of what God expects from me. And that that's to be the things that I'm faithful in. Now, let me say this this morning. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I don't want to ever step away from a pulpit without saying something about salvation. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, let me tell you this. First of all, Jesus Christ is not here to fix your problems. Can I get an amen out of the church? Jesus is not here to fix your problems. He's not here to save you from addiction. Jesus is here to save you from judgment you see the problem with man all the other issues they're all that they're just issues that are brought about rebellion against God and the real issue is this that you do not not even it's not even about I heard some a pastor say this recently and I thought that is good I'm going to take it and use it he says it's not about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ the devil has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ it's just not a good one this is about saying doing exactly what the Lord says when he came to this world. He says, repent, take up your cross, and follow me. You see, being a Christian is turning from sin, turning to God for the purpose of serving him. That is the gospel. And if you don't know him, we have people here who would love to sit down with the Bible and teach you what it is, to be a follower of Jesus Christ. All right, heads bowed, eyes closed. Father, we thank you for the day that you've given us. Lord, in the simplicity of your message about what a minister is to be, I pray, God, that each and every believer this morning would also see themselves in that light, that they are under rowers, servants of the Most High, bond servants, slaves to the master. We praise you for the opportunity to be your children, to be called your friends, but also understanding, Lord, that we're to serve you as Lord. So we commit the day to you, we commit your word and ask that by your spirit, that you would do the things that only you were able to do in the hearts of men and women and children. Take the words that i've spoken this morning for your good your glory fill the gaps in lord as only you're able to do and we commit this day and lord just uh this week to you and we pray these things in christ jesus name amen i want to remind you to be prayerful for our country in all seriousness please pray for this country we are setting on a powder keg And I'm going to tell you, we've moved to a different different place. We've moved to a different place. And God's people need to be prayerful and with action.